so hard to come speak as, you know, kind of from this place of the true overcoming the false because they're both so present. And, and to um, just to fight that, that sense that I have to be in a position of having overcome the false to talk about overcoming the false, mm-hmm. right? It's the fact that it's real, it's real time, live ammo. Yes. Um, you know, one of the things for me, uh, you know, my, my chimney sweep job is, was there was a really, really long season of a lot, lot demanded of me um, outside of home. People used to say, I have five kids, six coming in June. And um, it's kind of a shaming thing to say, but when I was, I think probably two or three kids in, people used to say, how many do you want? And uh, I had this line, I like to be funny. And uh, I used to say that we can have as many kids as my wife can raise on her own. Mm. And that was my, that was me being funny. Um, and, uh, the truth is, is it's just so true. Friends, it's Morgan Snyder, and welcome to the second installment of the bootleg raw audios from the Become Good Soil Intensive captured in 2019 It's Spring Canyon and never before released. So as I mentioned before, the audio quality is rough. We had, it was our first time at that facility. We had some real challenges and like great bootleg audios from those concerts from back in at least my childhood, um, there's some gold if you can work through the quality of the recording. So as you listen to this, I invite you to get on headphones um, or be in some kind of environment where you can give it your attention because the audio uh, can be a bit distracting. But I trust that God has some real treasures in this for all of us. As we walk through this content as a doorway into a path and process over time, we are going to dive into some deep waters of the true self and the false self of becoming aware of these two people within us, of beginning to disentangle the true self from the false self, beginning in kindness and courage over time to dismantle the true and allow God to dismantle the false and in time and over time participate with God in restoring us to be the true man he created us to be. In this session, We feature the stories of several heroic, uh, like-hearted allies that have consented to this path and process over years and have now come back to serve as apprentice facilitators in this past intensive. So you'll hear courageously from some of their stories. We also rely heavily on film clips during the intensive, and many of those clips just don't translate for this audio purpose. So I had to yank those out, and we particularly walk through the film, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. And so as I prayed, it just wasn't a fit to try to make that content work. So uh, there's there's some big gaps, and you'll just have to have grace towards that, and we bless the portion. In the meantime, if God would move you, I'd encourage you, uh, maybe even before you dive into this audio, to watch the, uh, it's called the super trailer or mega trailer of Secret Life of Walter Mitty. It's about six minutes long. into a real good picture of the true self and false self and the idealized image and the path and process every man must go through to become who he was meant to be. One other note, as you will hear regularly through these audios, 
we refer to our jobs, our work as chimney sweeps. And some of you may be familiar and some of you may not. The culture of Become Good Soil and the intensive is to focus on not on what we do, but focus on who we are and who we're becoming. And especially in this hour on the earth, in the developed world, we so deeply default to defining ourselves by what we do and not who we are. And so the intensive is a safe zone. And so is the BGS community where we choose to have the posture of focusing on who we are and not what we do. And so friends, we use the term chimney sweep to refer to every one of our jobs. And so as you dive into this, it's a way to just receive the universal themes that God's bringing for each and every one of us. So with that in mind, we're going to begin with a story of Tim Schrant. Let's dive in. Tim Schrant died last month. He was 63, died March 29th, actually, this year, and in La Crosse, Wisconsin, after a battle with cancer. And here is his eulogy obituary. <clears throat> Tim Schrant made his last inappropriate comment on March 29th. <laughs> If you are wondering if, if you ever met him, you didn't, because you would remember. For those that did meet him, we apologize, as we're sure that he probably offended you. He, he was world-renowned for not holding back and telling it like it is. He was born a hundred years too late. Given Tim's demeanor, he would have been the perfect weathered cowboy in an old west, a rough and tough pioneer. Maybe he should have just been Amish. He was the fourth of eight kids, the bottom rung of the top tier. Instead of taking his place on that rung, listening to the older kids and doing what he was told by his older siblings, he decided to make himself king of the four little ones. He spent his childhood and early adulthood ordering them around, tormenting them in general. He was the great orator, as he always had something to say. And he always had gotten in the last word, his fondness for authority, his own, not others followed him into high school in Kalmar and later into the army. This provided for many interesting episodes and stories, detentions, demotions, run-ins with the law here and globally. He worked at Black & Decker in Decorah as a tool and die maker for 30 plus years. He worked with a bunch of morons, his words, not ours. <laughs> well, not exactly his words because he would have included a bunch of swear words. Tim leaves behind a hell of a lot of stuff and his family doesn't know what to do with it. So if you're interested in a Virgin Mary in a bathtub shrine, you should wait for the appropriate amount of time and get in touch with them. Tomorrow would be fine. <laughs> a common line in obituaries is he never met a stranger. In Tim's case, he never met a rule he couldn't break, a boundary he couldn't push, a line he couldn't cross, a story he couldn't stretch. Another common obituary phrase is he'd give the shirt off his back. Well, Tim, he was prepared to do that. And he could probably do it quickly because he always wore his shirt unbuttoned three quarters of the way down. <laughs> oh, it's a true story. Tim led a peaceful death, but the transition was a bitch. And for the record, he did not lose his battle with cancer. When he died, the cancer died. So technically, it was a tie. <laughs> <clears throat> Tim 
was ready to meet his maker. We're just not sure if the maker was ready to meet Tim. <laughs> and the last words, good luck, God. <laughs> good luck, God. Oh, man. Sometimes I feel like that's just what I want to say when I look in the mirror. Good luck, God. Good luck. That's a true story. It's interesting how the family, they got the last word in, right? It's like, finally, the guy's dead, and we can have something to say. I've been reading that again and again, and there's all sorts of levels and layers in it. But it causes me to be curious. Um, This dilemma of who we want to be and who we find ourselves being and kind of the gap between the two. There are two men in us. There's a false, and there's a true, and there's a war, a civil war of sorts. And the good news is the false is not the deepest thing. It's not the deepest thing. But it is a battle for the seat of identity and validation. It's a man who's been formed first out of self-protection. He self-protects, even if it's aggressive, even if it looks like engagement, a perfect salesman, it's actually avoiding true connection, soul to soul, relational love, to avoid pain, and secondly, to make life work apart from God. That's the construct of the false self. We make a mask to self-protect, and then we grow and become the kind of person that has a face that fits that mask. Now, beauty of the death of the false and the resurrection of the true is over time, the mask no longer even fits. We can't wear it anymore. And so here's what's very key about this to take us in a little deeper. I am an intense person. And as I began to go through initiation in this process, Man, I just disdained my intensity. I hated it. I'd take anything but intense. Like people that like watch TV or watch any sports or just chill. Like I, I, I looked at them like, how do you do that? Like, and I would see just the exhaustion. And so for years, I repented from my intensity. But the problem is I was repenting from the image of God in me. The issue wasn't my intensity. The it, Christ bestowed me with a portion of his heart that's intense. It's how things like this come to fruition. So my intensity in the service of the false self will lead to overdoing it, lead to exhaustion. You see that? And it'll get me in trouble. And so the question is, um, how aware are you of the false self at work within you? Because here's the dilemma of this stage of the masculine journey is the false self becomes less and less efficient at producing life. It no longer works the way it used to. It's like an addiction that you just have to keep adding to it. It's never enough. It no longer serves you. And there's only two ways to go. We either try harder, which results in settling for a smaller story Brene Brown calls it engineering smallness. I love that term. I remember one mentor said, look at the lives of the men in their older 40s and 50s around you and just ask what's taken them out. 
What do you observe? And what I saw the pattern of so many men was they arranged for a life that was small enough that they could maximize security and comfort and not require any internal change. Basically, avoiding fear and avoiding shame by maximizing security and comfort to avoid not having to do the work to become whole. So option one is we try hard and ultimately shrink to what we have, what feels like a manageable kingdom. And that's why God keeps blowing it up and disrupting it, right? Because he doesn't want you to stay that place. Or the alternative is to die. Death takes many different forms. The ultimate expression is suicide, where it's just, I want to end the pain. I need to stop the pain. And that's a very sorrowful death. But there are actually beautiful deaths that actually are sorrow in the night that lead to rejoicing in the morning. That the masculine journey was meant to be a process of initiation whereby we pass through a small death and find the resurrection life that comes through it. That actually death cannot kill us, not on the level of our soul, right? The seed that dies actually is, though it appears to be death, it's the promise and the deposit of the life that is to come. One mentor said it this way. Um, he said, in, a larger, in larger than life people I've met, he said, here's the theme. I always find one common denominator. In some sense, they've all died before they've died. At some point, they were led to the edge of their private personal resources, right? Their self-life, their self-sufficiency, their way of making life work. And instead of avoiding a personal death or raging at it, they went through death, a death of their old self, small life, and came out the other side, then crucify the false so that the new man can be resurrected in wholeheartedness and in union with God. Real-time intimacy. We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about restoration and a with God life. That is what's available. I remember sitting in a counselor's office my first session, and I said, I want to die. And I said, it's not suicide. It's actually totally different than that. But I just want to put on my backpack, and I want to head west into the mountains, and I want no one to need anything. I said, I think what would be great is an injury that put me in the hospital for 30 days where I could heal, but I'd have an excuse. I'd have permission. You see, all the energy in my life was in the service of the false, and it was exhausted. It was never enough. It was always the next thing, always the next battle, always the next version, and it was killing me. And it was the invitation to initiation. It was the Father's severe mercy pursuing me and disrupting me. What's fascinating is Paul gets this. Like my counselor, Gary, Gary said, he said, with near 100% certainty, and now in a man in his 80s, he knows if he is operating out of the false or the true. He doesn't say with near 100% certainty he can operate out of the true self, right? We're not there yet, but he can have near 100% certainty, oh, this isn't the true man. This is reactive and not responsive. See, that's a huge difference. Guys, what we're beginning to explore here is how we become students of the two selves within us. And in some ways, there, there's 
nothing more helpful than to hear these stories from other men. Throughout this four days, you'll hear lots of stories of men who are a step in front of you that have consented to this path and process that somewhere back in history, they said yes. They said, I'm all in to this radical reorientation. I say yes to excavation over building. I say yes to the slow and steady work of becoming. I say yes to the curious life. And I say yes to a father who is actively at work, who's pursuing me on this very day. And so I want to invite a few of my brothers who have been in your seats. They've been the participants at an intensive in the past, and they have said yes, consented to a decade, and now they're years into this journey, and they've come back to this intensive to offer what's been entrusted to their care to you. So I'm going to start with my brother Jay. Um, Jay, I would love to hear, just as you're taking this in, you're considering these ideas as a fresh past today. What do you see? Where do you go? What would you have to share with us? The false self is really, really well constructed. Mm -hmm. And boot camp was a great first pass at it. But to be invited into this for you to unplug about how uh, complex it is, it actually takes a lot of patience and a lot of kindness with yourself to be able to disentangle it. There's a creative side to me. That's the real me. But there's a part of me that actually enjoys the dark. It's the creative side. It's the side where I need to withdraw, and it helps me think. And the, there's some really glorious and profound and some creative things that can come out of that. But the enemy is there to cut a deal, right? So in trying to determine, like, what is my style of relating and how do I move from the false self into the true self, um, you know, we move kind of in and out of, of a lot of different places, but I had to ask the question, how, what, like, who do I impact the most? Where does my life bring the most pain? And there's a couple of things which were really interesting. One of them that I felt a lot of shame about over my entire life is that if I have a, a best friend and then I move away from them, it's like, I no longer even need to talk with them anymore. And they're so deeply offended by that. Mm -hmm. And I, it's so hard for me to call them because I'm ashamed mm -hmm. and because I fear that they are going to lash me with mm -hmm. their tongue, mm -hmm. you know? And um, I just want this small circle that's this really controlled life. And I let just a few people in. Um, my wife has often lamented that um, she's so full of joy. I mean, I, I needed to marry somebody who was so unlike me so full of joy. Uh, what is my effect on her? If she disappoints me and, and then we can get to a place where she's describing, mm -hmm. this is what your impact is on me. She'll say, I don't know how you do it, but you can literally like not like me. You can just like that, go from loving me to not liking me. And I, and I will, and I will withdraw into a, a hole, but this is where the deal is, is that I kind of like the darkness because that's where I can process things. And in, in, when I'm doing it in partnership with God, I can come out of it and I can actually have something beautiful to offer. I can come back in love and I can have joy out of it. But what often happens is um, I'll, 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 when I move away, 
I'm like, you know what? I, I want one of two things. This is what I figured out. I want one, I, I'm going to hide and I'm going to see if somebody loves me, somebody to rescue me. This is my pose. Like, um, I, I'm going to hide and I'm going to see if somebody loves me enough to come and get me. My wife, my child, will somebody be kind? Will she rub my back? Will she offer herself? Like, there's all the, these conditions in my head. Now, I'm constantly thinking. What I so appreciate is you're describing an entangling, right? It, like you said, complicated. Because they're, what you're describing is the workings of the false self and the true self at play at the same time. So what I hear Jay saying is there's this withdrawal that's really holy, right? This artist's heart and intimacy with God, and it's a place of creativity from which you bring strength to the world. And at the same time, when it's in the service of the false, you shut down your wife, and she's like, where'd you go, right? Or you actually, it's so dependent, someone will rescue, and if they did, and so you don't solve it on the outcome that someone will rescue, and if they don't, then the message is you don't have what it takes. So in that, I just want you guys to hear, it begins with awareness, what you're saying, Jay, oh, I want someone to rescue me. What's that about? Guys, the right word for this really is entanglement or enmeshment. When we're talking about these nuances of how woven together the true self is with the false self, um, and the place in which we first need to address how we get our bearings, how we become aware. I want you to hear another story from another like-hearted ally. Brian, uh, if you could join us. Brian's taking the journey. He's doing the work in his chimney sweep context, in his home, in his walk with God. And Brian, like, let's talk entanglements. Let's talk about um, what this is like for you and how this story is playing out in your decade of becoming. It ends until real life happens that I really, really get the entanglement. Mm. And last couple, about two years ago, uh, my wife was diagnosed with cancer. And I'm in a chimney sweep that's a startup. It's all good. It's good promises. You get shares and all those. You know, I'm in a room of powerful men here. You guys know what the atmosphere is like. Startups don't have great health insurance. Startups have pressure. Startups have long hours. Startups have cost. And I didn't see the false self start to really, I didn't really get it until he started to rise under this pressure of not having, you know, necessarily funds to pay for this cancer treatment, mm. not necessarily have the means. And then I started to feel guilt. And then I'm, I put my wife in this position and all culminated, you know, I'm sitting in the uh, surgery room. She's going in for a mastectomy and, um, and she needs love. She needs the true man, this guy that's mm been squashing the, the whole culmination. I'm in this startup chimney sweep pressures. True man's being buried mm. by this false self. And I mean, it's culminating the, the whole culmination. I'm in this room getting ready to go into surgery. My wife's praying and she's a saint and she's got the music going and she just needs me to hold her hand. Mm. False selves on this device. Mm. It's in my pocket on this device. And the false self cost, cost me almost everything. I'm sitting here flighting papers that my wife can die, and I'm on a phone. The story's got a good ending. <laughs> True self gets to come out a little bit. But uh, we're in uh, counseling, and all my life, 
I'm not turning to my asshole dad who didn't treat me that way and didn't come through for us. Everything I want to do is keep these, my ceilings are going to be my kid's floor. I'm going to love my wife, but not in that moment. This is only two years ago. And, uh, and, uh, and my kids, how are you experiencing me? You're angry. Really? And that false self just kept pounding away trying to, and, and so eventually it, uh, it cost a lot, but we gave up the shares of the chimney sweep. We're leaving. I'm leaving. I'm going back. I'm going after my wife. Um, and, uh, for a few good men that I know around me, a few good mentors and a God and the forgiveness of my wife, uh, God's resurrecting that. Mm. And, um, and, you know, I got, got back to a stable position and a little new, uh, you know, a change of the, of the chimney, chimney sweep lifestyle. And, uh, my kid, I, I kid LeBromers when you come home and mm. how do your kids react to you? Mm. And, and it's about six months. And my kids came running to my arms, arms wide open and said, dad, you're back. Uh. Mm. And, um, and so I got to see the true self a little bit. Good and he's coming back. Um, but I guess I'd say the false self's costly. Yeah. Um, and I just had some highlights, but, you know, it's costly. And, um, and, and be warned. Mm. <laughs> it's, not, it's not worth it. No. Brian, I, um, I so appreciate your courage to put that out in front of these guys. And I remember that moment when you walked away from that chimney sweep world. And that was death. Because that was the symbol on paper that that was good for your family, good for your heart, good for your story, good for your calling. And what I want to point out in that story is the magic moment for this process is the present moment. It's here and now. Lewis says that God only exists in two places, in eternity and in the present moment. He doesn't exist in the past or the future. Speaking of the present moment, I don't think anyone in this room is more qualified (laughs) to speak on this topic right now than my brother Tim and his chimney sweep world that is relentless, that is uh, competing daily with his home life, with many, many wild-eyed, curly-headed, blonde kids that is equally relentless. So friends, uh, let's welcome up Tim. And uh, what do you do? Where do you go with this, Tim? Let's hear your story. So hard to come speak as, you know, kind of from this place of the true overcoming the false because they're both so present and, and to, um, just to fight that, that sense that I have to be in a position of having overcome the false to talk about overcoming the false, mm-hmm. right? It's the fact that it's real, it's real time live ammo. Yes. Um, you know, one of the things for me, uh, you know, my, my chimney sweep job is was there was a really, really long season of a lot lot demanded of me um, outside of home. People used to say, I have five kids, six coming in June. And um, it's kind of a shaming thing to say, but when I was, I think, probably two or three kids in, people used to say, how many do you want? And uh, I had this line, I like to be funny, and uh, I used to say that we could have as many kids as my wife can raise on her own. Mm. And that was my, that was me being funny. Um, and... Uh, the truth is, is it's just so true. And uh, mm. God in his kindness has continued to bring kids into my world 
despite my lack of intention to have them come into my world. <laughs> and uh, um, my story is one of, of, of being an orphan and, and, and being a, a martyr and making sure that people in my world know how much their requests of me are taking from me and uh, so that they then, they then don't ask mm. of things from me. Mm. And um, um, my wife, bless her heart, with all my other my chimney sweep stuff going on, just learned to do things without me. Took my kids on all kinds of trips, all kinds of things that no woman uh, on her own should do. Mm. It led to this culture in my family of, of dad doesn't go. Mm. And uh, so anyway, fast forward, my brother lives in Montana and um, it just really felt like there was a chance for us to go visit him in Montana. And I have, you know, the oldest is 10, the youngest is two. And, and I uh, feel like God's maybe telling us to go, to go out to visit him during spring break this spring. And uh, I have so many rules of why that's not okay. Like why, why we can't do this trip. My wife, of course, uh, confesses to me. She's like, I don't think we should go. She said, I have so much pride about this. She's like, I, she's like, I can go. I can make this happen. I can go without you. I'm like, I know you can. And um, she's like, I don't think we should go. This shouldn't be about my pride. And I felt God, God's just been, you know, just chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And I felt like God said, I need to say we're going. Mm. And uh, so for the first time, you know, I, I was like, no, we're going to go. We're going to go. And um, realizing I've lived my life in this place of scarcity mm-hmm. and that, that, the re- that I've lived this constrained life, this life of limits, because I have not believed I had a dad who had unlimited mm-hmm. resources for me. And uh, to say yes to this trip. And I tell you what, my kids found out we're going to Montana. You know what they all came to me and said? Dad, are you coming too? Mm-hmm. And just like the, the, the this trip. And I tell you what, my kids found out realizing I'm a decade into this and they're surprised that dad's going to come play. Mm. They're surprised that dad's going to be present, that dad is not going to have rules for what he can and can't do. And um, to just find myself in that real time reorientation to abundance. Yes. And, uh, and just realizing that I don't have to suddenly wake up tomorrow and be like a fathered son, but I get to live in it day by day. Yes. In the present. So just just living in that daily, just that daily, more of true, mm. less of false, mm. and that's just day by day. Mm. Yeah, false. Mm. You did it, Timmy. Yeah, you did it. And I brought them all to Colorado Springs for this trip. Six, yeah. six, yeah. five, one on board. Yeah. Six. They all drove across the country. They, did, you, you could have flown by yourself. I know. I wanted to. <laughs> I bet you did. <laughs> like, you, like, do you do you see that? Like, yes, it, it's not hard, it's impossible, and that's the hope, because that's where Christ comes, and it's in this present moment. It's the one choice here and now to say, I'm sorry that I'm out there trying to slay the beast, and all you want is to hold my hand, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry that that's how you feel, son, that I've been gone, but I'm here we're going, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't know that was my impact. I was doing this for you. I thought, but no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And these men, like it's in process, but who you are today contrasted to five years ago and five years before that, like that's the thing is that the idea of the false to the true is there's a, there's a rhythm to it. There's a cycle, but it builds on itself. It's a process of maturation. And that's why Paul can say, after 14 years, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I do, I don't want to do. 
like he is, he's articulate and becomes a person that has joy and happiness in what he does have, right? Against all circumstances and outcomes. These are deep, deep waters. They're as deep as you want to go. Friends, as I mentioned in the introduction to this audio, when we captured it live, we took a big amount of time to walk through the film Secret Life of Walter Mitty to apply some of these big ideas and concepts and and watch it play out in this modern day parable. And that doesn't translate to audio. But fundamentally, in this point, what I want to say is the deep excavation work that this invites us into in some ways can crescendo on this idea. How do people experience me? How do people experience me? We can perceive things about other people rather quickly, but the hardest life to understand is our own. I was talking to a guy just yesterday And I was reminded, like, that guy has a lot of words. He always has an opinion. I bump into him at sporting events and school activities, and I'm struck by there's always this energy to give a really strong opinion without ever listening and without ever being curious about what's forming his opinion. And I find my energy in him is to just kind of banter. Um, but actually not really connect because it doesn't feel like a safe place to actually have any sort of dissenting opinion. And you know that with any sort of guy you spend time with, he's the passive guy. He's the last to share. He's the first to share. He's the guy that always has to be right. He's the guy that always has a joke, right? He's the guy that um, will default to cynicism, Whereas the other guy might default to um, just denial. We all have our version and the hardest version to see is our own. And so my invitation to you as we explore this content over the next month, as we dive deep, my invitation to you is to take very seriously as a student, what am I like? Not in how you perceive yourself, but in how other people experience yourself. If you could spend 30 days to get to the root of what's the impact of my life on you, and that may be on your children, on your wife, on people at your work, on people at the events in which you participate with. But friends, it is so risky and it's so rewarding to become a student of yourself and to become aware and then begin to ask the question, what do I think of that? How much of that impact is my true self united with God, offering in love? And how much of that impact is a false self, is reactive, and is actually an elaborate structure to keep from genuine heart-to-heart connection with other human beings? It's actually avoiding authenticity, even if it looks like engagement. And so friends, very few people ever do this. And I'm inviting you to take a risk. What is my impact on people? What am I like? And what do I think about that? And so in light of that, I want to go back to the last piece of the audio teaching in our session 
at the intensive where I just simply closed in prayer. So before we go there, stick with that question. And then if you want to excavate, you want to go deeper. Session three of the Becoming a King video and session three of the Becoming a King study guide will really help do the excavation work on this topic really dives deep into some reflective questions on the false self and true self. And as I've mentioned before, the further excavation section in the study guide offers more resources to dive deep. So if this isn't your first rodeo and you want to keep exploring deeper, I really encourage you to turn to those resources. Jesus, I am struck afresh that the real work you are doing is restoring the true man in me. Just as you showed the quintessence of life really was Walter himself, as you intended him to be. Father, I want to be curious about what you set in my heart that's gone underground, that is hidden, that is self-protected out of valid harm. You say in the scriptures that here in this river, you will turn our old life into a kingdom life that you will ignite a life of fire within us through the Holy Spirit and that you will change and transform us from the inside out. Over time, steadily, piece by piece and part by part, you'll cleanse the house, making a sweep of our lives. That you, God, would give us the courage to become more and more aware of the false and that you would become more and more the safe place in order that we can dismantle the false and restore the true self. God, I just confess that because of you, you are my refuge. You are my safe place. Therefore, I have nothing to fear in being found. You, you rescue me from hidden traps because you are my refuge, I have nothing to fear. Because you provide what I need, I find myself without lack. God, because in you, my true man is more than enough and is without lack, I can come in a soul safe space to be exposed, to become aware of my true. Let you dismantle the false and restore everything you meant when you met me. I trust you, God, and I trust that because I am your son, I am on time today. And I trust that you are with me, working right where I am, right in this place of who I have become. So fill me, God, with your light and with your life. As we come to a close in this Become Good Soil podcast, shine your light be my life. Expose what you want to expose. I invite you into my true self to excavate, to heal, and to show me what's in the way. Friends, enjoy 60 seconds. Breathe deep and come to the center of what God is after in your heart in this day and in this decade.